the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. I am Pastor Scott, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. It is Open Line Friday, and uh, we'll take your calls on anything today. We do have a guest coming up in the next segment to talk about the anniversary of the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe versus Wade. And uh, otherwise, we'll take your calls on any subject today and uh, change the subject if uh, you want to talk about something else, Bible question, or you want to follow up on something else we talked about earlier in the week, or just something on your mind. Today's the day, 888-528-2557. I want to begin with a Supreme Court ruling today that I think it uh, it's something that I agree with. I'm going to tell you why I agree with it. It also is something that I think we can take a lesson from when we think about what our role is within the church, within the culture. The Supreme Court on Friday, that's today, threw out a challenge to one of the Biden administration's key immigration policies, basically a prioritization of who gets arrested and deported. Here is a report from Fox News. So the Biden administration had put out regulations that said, we're going to prioritize deporting people who have com- who are here illegally, who have committed certain crimes. They've, they're accused of terrorism or there are other serious issues. Otherwise, we're going to prioritize. We're not going to deport and arrest every single person who comes here illegally. Well, Texas and Louisiana had sued over this, saying that their states were suffering harm. There was an actual cost to them of this policy. Well, eight to one, the court found those states didn't have standing. So they don't get to the merits as much of the case as saying these states couldn't do this. In a, in a decision authored by uh, Justice Kavanaugh, I want to read part of this. And Justice Alito is the lone dissenter here. He said um, what the states want is a federal court to order the executive branch to alter its arrest policies so as to make more arrests. So they're saying, you know, these states are trying to push the, the executive branch to make more arrests here. It says federal courts have not traditionally entertained that kind of lawsuit. And the states don't cite any precedent for this kind of lawsuit. So they say they lack standing. The court didn't have jurisdiction to ever take this up in the first place. So they reversed what the lower court did, meaning a loss for Texas and Louisiana, a win for the Biden administration on how it wants to institute immigration policy for who gets arrested and deported in some of these criminal cases. So if you're you're listening to that, I find it interesting the way this is being reported everywhere, kind of in terms of winning and losing uh, GOP versus Democrat, uh, Biden versus Texas and Louisiana, those kinds of things. But if you take a step back, one of the things that the court has done here and has consistently done with the Biden administration and also with the Trump administration is that in matters related to immigration, it has deferred to the executive branch, the president, uh, for those decisions. Meaning that the reason the Biden administration wins here, basically the Biden administration, their policy 
is that they don't arrest everybody who's entering the U.S. illegally. They say that they can't. Instead, it prioritizes people who are suspected of terrorism or violent crime. But they are not prioritizing people who have uh, previous convictions in the country that they're coming from, for example. And Texas and Louisiana sued to say, no, we want you to arrest more people. We want you to not just prioritize the people that you think are the most dangerous now, but also, you should be arresting and deporting people who have you know, previous criminal records. And the Biden administration says, well, we don't have the people for that. And so that's the priority. Now, whether you agree with it or not, whether you agree with the Biden administration policies, and, and I think clearly most people know that overall the Biden administration is not, you know, is highly criticized really from both sides in a lot of ways on what's happening at the border. What the Supreme Court is saying is that Regardless of whether it's right or wrong policy, it's up to the president or the executive branch to make the policy, and states don't have a say. And the reason I think this is important, and it's important for us to understand this, and I understand why Texas in particular and Louisiana are frustrated because they are being overrun by people coming across the border. In fact, if you ever take a look at a map, like Google where there's a map of uh, how much border wall is there. California pretty much has a wall most of the way across, okay? Uh, same with Arizona. There's a couple of spots where there's nothing. But if you get into Texas, man, there's when along the river there, there's almost nothing other than the river. And so people just walk right across. And that's why Texas is probably receiving the most of any, any state in Louisiana next door because they just walk over to Louisiana or uh, you can get in the water and get over there fairly easily. Uh, so those two states have a, have a different challenge than some of the rest. But the, the idea is this, that the Constitution of the United States gives the power to control the borders and immigration to the executive branch, to the federal government, not to states. And... You know, of all the things, you know, sometimes presidents, we give presidents credit or blame for a lot of things that they have very little to do with sometimes, or maybe they have something to do with it, but there's a whole lot of other factors. For example, in the COVID crisis that we had, you know, uh, Presidents Trump and Biden either get praise or criticism for things they said or things that they uh, proclaimed during those periods of time. But actually, most of the decisions about lockdowns and about uh, social distancing and even uh, um, you know, vaccine mandates and things like that. Most of those decisions are local. You know, something I hope that we learn from the COVID is that there is tremendous power in local government and local officials, that a lot of the things that impact our lives on a regular basis are decisions that are made by local politicians. And sometimes the president is asked questions or even your congressperson, and they might give an answer and they've got an opinion and it becomes part of the campaign, but often they have actually very little to do with it. On the other hand, when it comes to immigration, the president has everything to do with it. The reason that Donald Trump won most of his cases when he wanted to move money around, for example, to build sections of the wall that he wanted to do and things like that, the reason he won is because it's his job. It's because constitutionally, states don't have that power. The president has that power. So actually, and this is why the court voted eight to one. Uh, Alito, I didn't read the dissent. He voted no. He probably has some reason. He's been a little grumpy lately about other things, I guess. But, uh, you know, the liberals and conservatives on the court tend to agree on this, that the federal government is in charge of immigration, that the federal government makes the policies. The federal government is the one who is should be controlling the border and making border policy. And, you know, and that's something I think for us to remember. So if we don't like the way a president is dealing with immigration, it is actually their job. 
Like it is a legitimate place to criticize the administration or to credit them if you're liking what they're doing, because it is their job. If President Biden really wanted to shut down the border, he could do that. He could do that right away. He could throw up a wall. He can close it. He can do all kinds of things to change it. If uh, And he has the authority to do that. What the Biden administration is saying is we don't have the people, but he could probably uh, go out and get the people if he really wanted to do that. So the the court case, if you get in the weeds of it, it really has to do with the the Biden administration saying it's about priorities of who we're going to arrest. So we can't arrest everybody. So we're going to arrest, seek out and try to use the people that we have to arrest the people that we think are the most dangerous now. And of course, they're missing a whole lot of people. There's a lot of crime and a lot of other trouble and a lot of people concerned about some of the people coming over the border who have criminal records with the belief that Texas and Louisiana would have here that they would continue to do criminal acts in this country the same way they did in their uh, former country, wherever they're from. And I don't think that's unreasonable to think that. The Biden administration says, well, we can't do everybody, so this is the priority. And at the end of the day, the court says, uh, you don't have the power to, states don't have the power to make that decision. And the court should not be coming in and telling federal authorities, you know, what their priorities should be. I agree with that. And I think that there is something for us to keep that in mind, because this is this is an issue where the president actually has significant impact on what happens. And uh, it's going to be an issue again in uh, this presidential campaign, I think, for sure. This is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. If you want to join the conversation or if you want to change the topic, we do open line Friday on Fridays. And today's Friday. And uh, the sun's almost out. I think it's going to get warmer. I think that's what they're saying. 888-528-2557. Now, pastorally, when I think about this, you know, it's, uh, I think about this a lot. What is God calling you to do with respect to your role in the church? Meaning we can spend some time, if we wanted to, criticizing or complimenting what the church does in our country. And we might be right. We might be wrong about that. But I wonder how much time... So many of us Christians spend armchair quarterbacking what the church ought to be doing rather than saying, well, what is my particular role? For example, we are supposed to be making disciples of all nations. That's the thing. You know, what's the church supposed to be doing? There's a bunch of stuff, but it all comes down to a mission of making disciples of all nations. Now, you personally, me personally, we can't make disciples of all nations as an individual. Your your particular job is not to make disciples of all nations. Your particular job is to play a role in the capital C church with whoever God has placed in your relational world, the people around you. Have you thought about that? Like, it's easy to say the church ought to be doing this missionally. I I have complaints. I think that the church ought to be, um, even with respect to border issues, we ought to be massively sending more and more missionaries into uh, Central America and Mexico. There's so much great work that the church can do to really help change things, even with some of the corrupt governments that are there. You know, the work that the church is doing, and it is doing in so many ways, with 
with water projects, with spreading the gospel, which helps people come to have a purpose in life, which also helps them do work better. So you you create systems so the people aren't sick because of bad water. You make sure that there's food. You make sure that there is the potential for economy, microloans, and some other things that the church and other mission organizations do. It's such a good thing. And long term, that actually... I think resolves a lot of the immigration issues that are existing now when the world becomes a better place. I think that wherever the church is doing its business, that country or that community or that neighborhood or that street is a better place. For example, wherever your church is located, wherever the you know, the the address of the building that you gather together in church, it's in a neighborhood somewhere. Hopefully, your neighborhood would miss your church if it were dis- to disappear. Hopefully the people who don't even go to your church would be sad somehow if your church were to close. You know, that's a great question, I think, to ask. But you can still get into that and start criticizing your own pastor or your own leadership or, or, you know, or you know, leaning on, hey, maybe we're doing a great job in our neighborhood and look at how great we are and changing the conversation that way. Here's my question for you with this is what is God calling you to do? What is your lane in the kingdom of God? You know, the Supreme Court says to uh, Texas and Louisiana, um, your lane is not to tell the Biden administration or the executive branch what decisions it can make, whether you agree or not, whether they're right or wrong. uh, The president makes the decision about priorities with immigration. And what you should say is, this is what the Supreme said, but this is the idea. What you should say is, if you don't like it, get another president. And that's what you say to your people. And that's probably what's going to be said. But it's the president's job. The executive branch's job. Uh, state's job is not to do that. So what's your job? Like, what is it that God has called you to do? Do you know? I think there's a couple of areas where you can ask that. One of those is, of course, in your gifts. You have spiritual gifts. There is something that you are particularly good at that is needed wherever God has placed you. You ever think about that? You might be good at multiple things. Some people have a lot of different talents and stuff, but there's usually one or two things that a person is just super good at. Uh, There's also things that people are not good at, uh, which I personally find to be super helpful to realize that there are things that I'm not good at. And if I can make sure that other people, when I'm pastor of a church, this is what I want people to know. Uh, hopefully they like my sermons and the things that only the lead pastor can do. I need to be good at those things. But there are things that other people can do, and there are people in the church body who are better than your lead pastor at doing certain things. Administration, for example. You know, it was a joyous moment for me when I was at my church for a long time, but when people realized, you know what, there are things we should not ask Scott to do because he'll screw it up. And I think some people get offended by that. Like, what do you mean? No, you can ask me. I'll do a good job. But actually, there are things that people might ask you to do that you will do a terrible job at. And it's wonderful when other people realize that. It's wonderful when I hear people say, we can't ask Scott to do that. He'll mess it up. Because they're right most of the time. And that means I get to spend more time doing the things that actually I'm going to do a good job at. So what is God calling you to do in the kingdom of God? You think about it that way? And, and are you right? And that's another big question. I know people who think God is calling them to do certain things. Sometimes it's to teach. And they're a terrible teacher. In fact, I know a church right now. I've been talking with a pastor 
where they have somebody who will teach Sunday school. They'll teach in different areas. And if the pastor is sick or the pastor, it's a small church, if the pastor, you know, is not there for some reason, usually that guy will be doing the sermon. Uh, But nobody thinks it's a good sermon. Nobody thinks so. I mean, but they'll say, oh, nice job. And they appreciate him. They're kind, right? But teaching is not his gift. He's a good person to go visit people. That's what people say. Uh, But he thinks teaching is his gift. He thinks he's great. See, sometimes you got to be right. That happens a lot with singers, doesn't it? You ever have that happen? And boy, you know, (laughs) I have been in some uh, church services where the person who's up singing can't sing at all, and it's really terrible, and everybody cringes, and then it's over, and everyone starts to slowly uncringe, and then afterward, everybody says, oh, thank you. I was, I was really blessed by that. And it's a lie. You weren't blessed by it. You were, you were embarrassed by that. And I always think, why do we do that to people? Why, do we, why can't we say, hey, you know what? Singing is not your thing. And I think it's hard for us to admit that. Sometimes we really want to do something. It tends to be things that are important to us, or sometimes it's, it's roles that are up front, you know, and maybe we just want attention. You got to be honest, right? Maybe you think uh, you're a great greeter at your church and you're really welcoming to people, but maybe you have a frown that you can't get rid of for some reason and you're terrible at it, right? Figure out what you're good at because some people are great singers and they should be singing. And some people are great at greeting people. They should be doing that. Some people are great teachers. They should be teaching. And to be honest about it, you got to ask other people, how am I doing at this? Am I gifted here? Another great question. Is this part of my gifting? Because if people are honest with you, they're going to say yes or no. And it's okay. If they say no, it might hurt your feelings. It might hurt a lot and you might get embarrassed. But you'll get set on a better path because something in you is how God designed you to be better. Now, on top of that, I'm just talking about roles here, but in a bigger picture, and this is the bigger reason. What God is calling you to do is not necessarily even a role in your church at all, but what God is calling you to do is to make disciples, to minister to the people that God has placed in your life. Like I said before, not make disciples of all nations. You can't personally do that yourself. The church, capital C, makes disciples of all nations. But you have a group of people in your relational world. They're people that you live with. They're people that you go to school with. They're people that you work with. They're people you live next to. Whatever it is you think God is calling you to do, I promise it has something to do with those people. It has something to do with the people that you interact with on a regular basis. The people who actually know if you're truthful about your faith. You know what I'm saying is that You know, you could get on uh, television and you can tell everybody what a great Christian you are and the whole world can watch it. But there's there's only a handful of people who know whether you're telling the truth. There's only a handful of people who actually know if that's how you live your life. That group of people, that's who God is calling you to. See, that's why your testimony matters. That's why repentance matters. That's why all of those things are uh, significant because those are the people where you have influence. And whatever God is calling you to do, I promise you it's with those people. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. Rachel in Orange County, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi. Hi, Rachel. Hi, yes. Um, So um, just on that topic that you were mentioning about what God is calling us to do in the church, um, 
for me, I think right now he's just calling me to go, um, to go often, as, as often as I can, to get more involved. Um, I have been reading the uh, Old Testament, and I was trying to read the Bible in, you know, in, uh, in order from the Genesis, Exodus, and so on. And um, it, I love it. I love it. it, it it's pretty brutal, you know, but, uh, but true. And um, so that's kind of where my insight was coming from. And uh, the more I would discuss that, um, I was getting a lot of um, negativity from it. So you're getting negativity from from it. from what? For reading uh, your Bible? Well, you know, there was well because there's a lot of things in there that are just it's all true, but it, it's pretty harsh. You know? Oh, I see what you mean. Like you you personally were getting negativity from some of the stuff that you were reading from people that I was. I was saying, hey, you know, this says, you know, God said this, and, uh-huh. you know, check this out, and, and even posting some of the things, and um, so I, you know, I prayed about it, I was like, wow, you know, well, I don't really want to come across as holier than thou, it's for me, too, you know, I was learning from it as well, to change to change my ways, but um, I just felt that maybe I should um, start reading the, the New Testament, where it's a little easier for for new beginners, uh-huh. and and I, I I have been doing that. So, um, you know, I post I post I like to post scriptures a lot on um, on my Facebook page, and um, I wasn't getting a whole lot of response. I mean, I was getting a lot of like the wow emojis, if anything. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, so I I just started doing the New Testament, and now I'm getting likes and hearts and things like that. So I think he was just maybe telling me um, that for, for me right now, it's best if maybe I'm a little bit softer. And I think the New Testament is a bit softer. Well, it's all part of one story. So what happens is in the New Testament, when you have uh, Jesus come and he dies, uh, sin is paid for. And we have a time of grace where all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is that unlike every other faith and religion in the world or philosophy in the world, you don't earn your salvation in Christianity. Uh, it's been earned right. for you by Jesus. And that's that's the good news. That's why we call it good news. It's it's not good advice. It's good news. No. Right? And that, there's a big difference, no. right? No. It's good advice yeah. is here's a good way to live your life. You're going to get a lot of gr- great advice in the Old Testament and New Testament. But good news is... Um, you're not going to hell because you sin. You're going to hell because you reject Christ, right? Or the better way to put right. it is you're going to, you get eternal life because you accept the gift of salvation from Christ, that you were dead in your sins. Now you're alive in Christ and you're alive forever. So you're you're going to get that message. So you don't want to ignore the Old Testament. You can't have the New Testament without the Old Testament, but the Old Testament is what is resolved by the New Testament, Right. Does that I mean, make sense? I get that. I understand yeah. that. It perfectly makes sense. But I, they don't, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I want them to to hear something. And and if I throw something out there, uh, you know, I'm just right now. I just think that that that's how he's kind of working in me. Also, um, he just wants me to go and attend church at this point, All right. uh, which I have. And which you know what? It, it matters. I'm going to have to take a break here, but it matters to go to church. It matters for you. And then you go to church and you interact with people and you should be kind to those people. 
And you never right. know, God might sit you next to somebody who suddenly asks you a spiritual question of some kind, and you're going to realize, you know what, I just read that in my Bible reading, and you're going to realize that God does things providentially like that all the time. And I that's have. Something that I'm learning. I'm, I'm yeah. definitely learning every Sunday I yeah. go. So Good deal. So Rachel, thank you. Rachel, thanks for calling the Pastor Scott Show. And uh, great God to, bless you. God bless you. Great to have you with us today. Hey, we are uh, going to take a break here. When we come back from the break, a year ago, it was a year ago, uh, that the Dobbs decision that reversed Roe versus Wade happened a year ago tomorrow, the 24th, actually. And we have a guest, uh, Marjorie Dannenfelser, who is the president of the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America group. And she'll be with us uh, as we come back as the Friday edition of the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Friday edition of the Pastor Scott Show. We'll continue with Open Line Friday a little bit later on today, but I didn't want to miss because it's tomorrow. Tomorrow is the one-year anniversary of the Dobbs decision, better known as the decision that overturned Roe versus Wade. And uh, we have a guest with us. Her name is Marjorie Dannenfelser. She is the president of the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, the largest grassroots pro-life political group in the country. She has been called by the Los Angeles Times the woman who brought down Roe, and that's because of she played a key role in 2016 to get President Trump to commit to appointing Supreme Court justices who oppose abortion. She's the author of Life is Winning Inside the Fight for Unborn Children and Their Mothers, an alumna of Duke University. She's married to Marty and has five children. Marjorie, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. What a delight. Thank you for inviting me on. Well, it's great to have you on. And, uh, you know, it's been a year since the uh, Dobbs decision, and that's been quite a year for you, hasn't it? And for the country. It certainly has. I mean, what a difference uh, one year makes in the lives of children and mothers. I mean, even in, in just just the year, tomorrow morning at ten ten will be the literal <laughs> anniversary of the overturn at Roe versus Wade of Roe versus Wade, and sixty thousand children is the estimate from from us and the abortion lobby about how many children uh, lived instead of died this year. So and sixty thousand mothers, sixty thousand. Yeah, and that isn't. That doesn't count, or we hope there might be more because there are cases that are holding up some laws. But it's a it's a beautiful gift to the world. These children who were who were um, in the mind of God before they were even sent and created for a purpose made it. Their moms have a chance to uh, to actually reach to the roots of the problems that sent them to that abortion clinic door. Um, so it's a beautiful moment for life. There's so much beautiful news. And in some news outlets that don't have the integrity that you do, um, you don't necessarily hear it. So thank you for letting me uh, shout it from the mountaintops. Well, I'm glad that you're on and that you're shouting from the mountaintops. You know, about half <laughs> about half the states uh, pass pro-life laws to protect mothers and children. Some of them are, uh, most of them, I think, are being challenged at different levels in the courts. And it's going yeah. to shake out over some time. How would you say, since you're 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 particularly involved in the the conversation, the political conversation about this subject, how has that discussion changed now in the past year? 
Well, it's changed because it went from theoretical to real. Uh-huh. This isn't just a uh, theoretical argument where you have a philosophy about, or you just pass a bill that will get enjoined and will never go into effect. But now, if you pass a bill, you vote for a bill, it gets signed into law, it actually saves the lives of children. And because of that move, uh, that rest- restoration of the issue to the democratic process and taking it out of the hands of a handful of Supreme Court justices, it has struck fear in the hearts of many politicians who really didn't really think that deeply about it, but they decided to sign up on the pro-life side because so, it sounded right. It'll bring votes my way. You know, I don't yeah. want to be cynical, but it, not, not all the pure motives that we would love. And uh, so it's a moment to really hold them accountable um, for uh, our part of electing them. I think something you said there is is very key to a lot of this. It created a situation where now politicians actually do have to commit because you can commit to being pro-life, for example, beforehand, but you know nothing's ever going to pass and it doesn't really matter. It's easy to say that for political mm-hmm. reasons. But now if you say it, it means something. Uh, and the same would exactly. be true on the other side, I would think, is that now if you say it, whatever you think, it's actually going to impact what mm-hmm. policies are going to be formed. Mm-hmm. Well, it's important because on the other side, they had everything. They had abortion up until the end. Um, that is has been the law of the land. That makes us like China and North Korea instead of the rest of the civilized world. Uh, now, every time that there is a gain for us, meaning lives saved and women served in ways that they really need, that's a loss for the other side. That's a loss for them. So they are spun up uh, in ways that, make uh, uh, Armageddon look calm. They have got the money, they've got, um, and they've got the anger, uh, and they are fighting hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know the way, and you, are, you are, have devoted your life to preaching that way. And that, um, that, that is what we're hanging on to. And our, our movement is growing as the reality of, of the, um, as, the, as the reality is known. In other words, there, you can actually save children. <laughs> yeah. If you pass a law now. So that is an that is an incredible motivator. What would you say? And uh by the way, this is the Pastor Scott show. My guest is Marjorie Dannenfelser. She's the president of the Susan B. Anthony Pro Life America uh uh group. And uh we're talking about the anniversary of the Dobbs decision that reversed Roe versus Wade. On our show we talk a lot about being effectively persuasive, meaning it's it's not just the ability to state an opinion or to plant your flag somewhere. But how do we persuade people? Like you said, you know, people who are pro-abortion are, many of them are, I think they go in a couple of different directions. Some are introspective and they're thinking about, well, what do I really think about this? Other people are just mm-hmm. mad and motivated. How do we, what's the best way to be mm-hmm. persuasive? And maybe what's, what are some things that people do that are not quite persuasive on the pro-life side? Well, I can tell you um, what those that were smart and kind did for me when I was very pro-choice, I called it, and it was to engage me, listen first, listen a lot. And the more they listened to what I was saying, the more sometimes I was unwinding my own arguments because they really didn't have a very strong basis. Mm. Um, But when, and and their non-judgmental approach to me meant that I was open to uh, a conversation um, somehow magically. I was open to a conversation. Uh, I think that that there everyone is different, and there are a lot of ways in. I think that some people never engage in the conversation because they're so concerned that they don't have the right words. Mm. Well, that that is where 
listening is really important. Yeah. <laughs> and where, of course, we're told that we'll be given the words that we need, um, if any words are necessary. Um, if a woman has had an abortion, she probably needs something a little bit different from somebody who is uh, who is an activist that hasn't, but thinks that she's an activist for people who are um, who, who want to have abortions, or just a family member at the Thanksgiving table that just is uh, that just thinks, you know, my body, my choice. Right. So, yeah, and then of course, not to go on too long, but but the other or other argumentation is in the public square over laws, which is a little bit different, and where consensus is built um, is a matter of persuasion. That okay, we can't agree on everything, but can we just agree that at this point we can say no abortion beyond this point? Mm-hmm. And this is what we must do in areas that are where we don't have much agreement, where there's polarization, like in our Congress. You said that that people can actually unwind their opinion when they suddenly have to think about it. I think that's a good term there because that's something that I've noticed a lot of people say is, you know, they'll just throw out the old argument. Well, it's just a clump of cells, you know, until a certain number of weeks. Well, mm-hmm. we're all we're all just a clump of cells even now. I'm sorry to say, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, those mm-hmm. things don't really, <laughs> you know, with those things don't. I depend, I depend upon those clumps every day when I wake up, that clump that's my heart and my liver. <laughs> that's like, right. I, that's uh, right. Those clumps make a difference. Sorry, I have more ahead. clumps than I wish yeah. I had, frankly, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, you know, but. You know, I think that it helps people to think that way, and you're you're wise to talk about how important it is to listen and to f- try to find consensus, because it's that, you know, I'm amazed that so many people, and this is what we've dealt with in California, a refusal at all to put any limit whatsoever on abortion right up until birth. Um, and I think it's because if you'd go there, then you have to start unwinding your thoughts about it. I think that's right. Uh, I think, unfortunately, sometimes... We have to live the reality of the horror, too, because so many people weren't paying attention uh, when your referendum occurred. Yeah. And, and they are going to they may start seeing and feeling the effects of uh, abortion tourism, inviting women from all over the country yeah. just to get their abortion and get them back out. So the, the, the harshness of that, uh, also that you're paying for it, <laughs> but the harshness of that, uh, you don't know this woman from anybody. You don't know why she's here. She could be trafficked. She could be stuck in an abusive relationship. And, and this is a result of coercion that 70 percent of women say that part of the reason they have an abortion is through coercion. You don't know anything, whether she's drug addicted, mm-hmm. any of those things. But you decide that you're just going to give her an abortion and you're going to send her back in there and you're the big hero. Well, that is easy. And heroism is a lot more complicated than that. And that is what the pro-life movement does, uh, something more heroic and truly uh, sometimes complicated. And the situations, as you said, are very complicated. And uh, the yeah. the reasons why people might want an abortion, the things that people are going through, the fears that women have are significant. Mm-hmm. They're a significant part of the story. And to ignore that, either just to have an abortion or just to have a philosophical argument without knowing the person is not uh, not really helping that person. Um, no, but thing, something that unwinds, as we said, unwinding, the, the complication is just love and compassion. Yeah. Um, and and love and compassion for mother and child is uh, is what we are about. If it's not about that, uh, we we got to shut up and go home. Yeah, we do. Hey, I think you have to go. Are you able to stay through the break, or do we need to end? You might I have am another... so sorry, but I do. Yeah, I thought you had another um, one. So what a. 
I do. But what a blessing to talk to you. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Well, I thank you for being with me. You know, what would you leave people with? What's the best thing to do from here? Um, the best thing to do from here is to twofold. Throw yourself into, I would say, uh, the, the, the campaign where you think that you can make a difference politically and throw yourself into uh, serving moms where they are. Yeah. Because those are the two wings of the dove, in my opinion. Justice yep. and mercy for the mom, justice and mercy for the child. I think that's a great way to look at it. Justice and, Murphy, uh, and mercy. <laughs> Marjorie Dannenfelser, thank you for being with me today on the Pastor Scott Show. Thank you so much. And uh, how do people reach you? You're at Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. What's the best way to reach you? Yes, just Google that, and so many opportunities and so many uh, resources will pop right up. All right, Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, and uh, it's sbaprolife.org. But Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, uh, check it out. Marjorie, thanks for being with me on the Pastor Scott Show. Thank you so much. All right, God bless you. All right, we'll be back as the Friday edition continues with Open Line Friday. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. It is Open Line Friday. Anything that's on your mind, 888-528-2557. We'll go to the phones with Donna in Orange. Donna, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, go ahead, Donna. Well, um, I've had a a rather uh, interesting journey in my uh, salvation. And uh, years ago... Uh, before I was saved, I, I used to follow this woman called uh, by the name of Terry Cole Whitaker, who, by the way, left the ministry to become an actress. <laughs> mm. And uh, but she was great. She was very charismatic. She was just a wonderful speaker. And she was holding a meeting in Century City where uh, thousands of people went. And uh, I invited this woman who who I know didn't care for me much. But she was having problems, so I asked her to go, and she agreed, and we went together. And uh, during the meeting, she just sat there stone-faced, not saying a word, with her arms crossed. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, I said the, I said the wrong, I did the wrong thing, mm-hmm. you know, I did the wrong thing. And um, I sat there for a while with her, and and finally, I, you know, I, and, and, uh, I just said, God, did I do the right thing? Uh-huh. And when I said that, a tremendous force hit my feet, and it slowly came up my body. And I, and I was trying hard not, not to scream, and I remember looking up at the ceiling thinking, I'm going to explode into a million pieces, well, and I'm going to be all over the ceiling. Yeah, that would be bad. But, <laughs> <laughs> so, and this, this force just came up my body. Now, did you and feel finally, like, uh, I, did you feel like that meant you were in the right place or that you were not in the right place? I, I was given an answer to my question. Mm-hmm. I was given an answer to my question. And, uh, I, years later that I think about it, I know it was a positive one. It was a positive one. And that's what he, he, God wanted me to bring her. 
he wanted you to bring her to that event. He, he um, wanted me to bring her, yeah. right. Okay, now I'm and, not sure uh, that person is, uh, I, the person you mentioned is following uh, Jesus these days. She's part of a uh, religious science movement and some other things, apparently. <laughs> I don't know what, you know, I, I lost track of her. Yeah, she might have gone another uh, direction. But at the time, you felt like it was the right thing to bring your friend. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. Donna, thank you for sharing your story. I want to go on to some other callers here. Have a great weekend, Donna. Appreciate you calling the Pastor Scott Show. Vicki in L.A., welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. I don't know. Hey, can you speak closer into the phone? I can't hear you. All right, let me put you on hold. What I need you to do is turn off the radio and just speak right into the phone. Uh, that way we can hear you, and then uh, we'll get to your question there on Second Corinthians. It is Open Line Friday, Pastor Scott Show. You can call about anything you'd like. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Let's try Vicki again. Vicki, you there? All right, Vicki, I'm going to put you on hold there. I think you're just now getting by. There's a delay, you know, on the radio. So that's one of the reasons that we have you turn that down. 888-528-2557. Open line Friday. We'll talk about whatever it is you would like to talk about. And you can ask a Bible question or maybe something about the culture or the world today. Maybe there's something that you didn't get through on earlier in the week with a subject. And uh, we did have some people who couldn't quite make it earlier in the week. And uh, you can call and ask that question. All right, Vicki, one more try here. Vicky, you there? You would like. All right, <laughs> now, we'll we'll just keep Vicky on on hold there. You know, by the way, I got a couple of questions. So here's a couple of things that we'll deal with when we get to the next hour. One is, would you eat the the phony baloney meat that's grown in a lab? So when we come back, apparently you're going to soon be able to eat chicken that's grown in a lab, but it's never been a chicken. It's never actually been a chicken. No one has ever, it's never, it's not a free-range chicken or a caged chicken. It's never been a chicken. It's grown in a bucket that looks like a brewery of some kind. Would you eat that? Is that interesting to you? And uh, the other thing is, do you think that you can beat Serena Williams in a tennis match? And there's a whole lot of stuff that went on actually in Washington, kind of around that question one way or another. And uh, kind of, you know, I think that's pretty interesting. So we'll get to that here in in just a moment uh, when we come back at the uh, top of the hour. 888-528-2557. And, uh, you know, we were having, uh, we had a guest on right before the break who talked about the anniversary of Roe versus Wade being overturned, the Dobbs decision, as it's called. And she gave some great advice to us. And... You know, I we'll have her on again another time. To, you know, it'll obviously be a big issue. But there is so much that is valuable there in that conversation. Did you know that over 90 uh, different Christian or pro-life pregnancy counseling centers have been uh, attacked over the past year since that happened? 90. And in most cases, uh, I don't know if I want to say in most, I haven't looked up all of them, but in many of those cases, there's been no arrest. There were groups out there that uh, were um, firebombing a couple of them, a lot of graffiti attacks and a lot of you know threats and those kinds of things. I would encourage you to look up a pregnancy counseling center, a pro-life counseling center somewhere near you and volunteer or donate. There are so many needs there and often something that helps a woman not get an abortion is help. Just the simple bit of help, knowing that she's not alone, knowing that there is a resource for her. Sometimes it's financial that's the reason. So she needs diapers, she needs formula, she needs all kinds of things and you know, baby clothes and things like that. A lot of these clinics now have, you know, little uh little shops that you can 
go into, and often they provide this for free. And, you know, I would highly recommend as we get into a, a, a season, I think, where politically abortion will be a different discussion than it's ever been, that if you want to be persuasive in it, if you really want to say, hey, I'm pro-life, and uh, not just make a political argument, but but be persuasive, then it's going to matter that you can say, I contribute to this pro-life center or to I do this for moms who are in crisis pregnancies. And, you know, I realize that many of the reasons that people get abortions is very convenient and seemingly you would uh, be able to just get back to your life. That's sort of the idea. And most of the time, it well, really none of the time is it like that because you always have the memory. And many of the times uh, you're never the same. And there is regret. There is other psychological difficulties. And there is so much related to what a mom goes through who is going through that and often is going through a lot anyway. Just that's the reason that she got there. Part of what we need to be making sure we're doing as a church is not just being a voice, but being the hands and feet. And that is God's call with so many things that we we need to be doing. And it does make an impact. Change hearts, by the way, changes the laws in the long run. In fact, I think the reason that it got overturned is because actually a lot of people's hearts have turned against abortion on demand. You know, that the polls say that, well, the majority of Americans support first trimester abortions, the majority do not support them after that. And the the longer it goes, the greater the number of people who say, no, that shouldn't happen. And I think that's a difference. I think that's because of science uh, in some ways. I think that's because of these pregnancy uh, clinics that uh, bring up the issues. In fact, I saw, I got an email from some random group, actually, because I get a million emails. And I usually don't click on them, frankly, because I get so many. But this one was about a about how youth groups, high school youth groups, can tour pregnancy counseling centers, and they get to watch an ultrasound. And they said that just showing people the ultrasound, you know, and these are little, you know, young uh, men and women or boys and girls in high school who aren't dealing with crisis pregnancies at the moment, but could be in that position later in life. They get to see the ultrasound first and foremost, and they have so many questions and they see the hands and the feet and they hear the heartbeat and they see the heartbeat up on the screen. And that alone is changing people's minds. And the reason those ultrasounds can happen are because of people just like you who have donated money through your church or directly to crisis pregnancy centers. And, you know, right now the crisis pregnancy centers are under attack. The the pro, uh, pro-abortion pro side is trying to close them down, trying to find legal ways to close these things down. And that's on top of the threats and the violence that has come their way in so many, um, so many places. So I want to encourage you to check that out. And uh, think about that as uh, you should do it anyway. You don't have to have a political motivation. And really, your first motivation should be the baby and the mom. Um, But also in the argument that we have, we are far more persuasive if our actions uh, are there behind our words with anything we do. And I know that you know that, but sometimes we just know that and we still don't do that. So let's do that. All right. When we come back, we'll talk about... uh, tennis. We'll talk about fake meat and it's open line Friday. We'll talk about anything you'd like to talk about. 888-528-2557. Pastor Scott show. I'll be back as the Friday edition continues. Stay tuned. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.